I used to think the best equipment was our greatest asset, and that's not true. Our people are our greatest asset. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. This podcast will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners find the answers to the tough questions that will help them succeed. Our guest today is Tim Hausbeck, who is the current president of Hausbeck Pickle Company. Founded almost 100 years ago, Hausbeck is very well known in the pickle industry, supplying many national restaurants such as Subway and Burger King. Tim has personally been involved in the pickle industry for almost 30 years, and on today's show, he shares many valuable insights about the industry. I also hear he's no slouch in the golf course if you're looking for a game. Without further ado, welcome, Tim, to Mitten Money. Thank you, William. Happy to be here. Thank you for taking some time out of your morning to be able to have this podcast. And so tell us a little about yourself. What's your uh, personal background and what's the path that you took to your current position? Well, I think like a lot of young people, when you're going through high school and you go on to college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So college was just the next step. And actually, at one point in time, I thought I was going to be a stockbroker. A summer between my junior and senior year of college, I did an internship at Merrill Lynch. Found that I didn't like that so much. So I was a little bit lost. I graduated in 1989. Stock market had crashed in 1987. Wasn't a whole lot of jobs when I came out of college. But I happened to see an ad at a Chevrolet dealership. And I was, always had a passion for cars. I knew a lot about cars. I read Motor Trend. I watched a lot of stuff. And I'm like, well, I know a lot about cars. The kicker was, is there was a, a free demo for a car. And at 21 years old, I'm like, hey, I get a new car. I know a lot about cars. Let's start learning about selling cars. I did that for a couple of years. And it was really interesting because it taught me a lot about the sales experience and customer service. I didn't know that before. And there was some real world training you don't pick up in college. So I did that for a few years. And while I was doing that, our company business, and it was really small, we probably were about a million dollars a year in sales. And people would say, why aren't you working for your family business? Well, at the time, you grew up working in the business and it was a job. And as I became a little bit older, a little bit more mature, I started realizing I had some visions that I thought, or a vision that I thought I could help my father and my uncles and my brother make the business grow. So I asked if I could come back and start doing the same things I always used to do, whether it be driving a fork truck or working on the assembly line. But in the after hours, I kept bugging my dad, learning more and more about the business. And one of the biggest things that I contributed to its success in a family business, there can be a lot of issues where people don't communicate with each other very well. Actually, that's true probably in a lot of businesses, but can be more so in a family business. And one of the things that I saw between my father, my uncle, my brothers, is they shared a lot of the same values and a lot of the same ideas, but they didn't talk about them. I was able to bring the team together and align them with some of their ideas and give them a purpose to move forward in a direction that allowed us to start growing more quickly. That's where I got my start and been growing within the company ever since. And so you mentioned in there, I think something pretty special about communication. What are some of the ways that you brought some of these ideas or some of these different forms of communication up to your family? Because to yourself, it could just be you're talking to your brother or your father in that case, but as well, 
you're talking within your own career and sometimes that can be scary for some people. So how did you bring that up? Whether it's just a simple conversation or maybe you wanted to have a sit down meeting with them? They were, as a family business, they came into work every day and they would do their jobs and they would have very little group meetings. They'd finish the day, they'd go home. There was sales or purchase orders that they have to fill. But overall, there was not long-term planning. I literally would get them together and set aside time at the end of the day, even if it had to be a weekend, because I would listen to all parties involved. They would talk. They just didn't talk well together. And I sort of act as that mediator, getting them to sit down and find their common ideas that they all shared. And that's how we start building on a foundation on those common ideas. And we started planning more. It was very fruitful. And it was actually, I think they enjoyed it. It wasn't something that was taught to them. Oh, definitely. I could definitely see that. So what does it mean to you to help lead a company that has such historic ties to the year? I mean, I was looking on your website prior to this podcast interview, and I saw that your company is almost 100 years old at this point. Well, there's a sense of obligation, not only to this company, but also to this community. Being that we're in a peninsula, all of our businesses outside the state of Michigan, or most of it. So there was a time before we did our new building on Hess Street, we were located on M13. And I had a discussion with the owners at the time, should we consider moving closer to, say, Toledo or somewhere near the 69 I-80 corridor or 69 and 75 corridor? Because a lot of trucks have to come up empty up into the peninsula to pick up our products to ship outside the state. And we actually found a property in Indiana just across the border that we really considered moving to. But there was that sense of obligation and our roots were here, that I felt that it was not the best thing for us to do. Even though it was my idea to consider it because it would save us money and improve our gross margins, there was that obligation that weighed very heavy on us, or at least on myself, and I think on my dad, my uncle, and my brother. So we decided to buy this property just a couple miles away from our existing facility. It was already zoned to have a pickle company because back in the 20s, at the one end of the property, Heinz had a very small little facility. We controlled four city blocks and started developing that property. And after about six years, we left the other side on M13. But the other part I think is with regards to almost, you know, running a company that's almost hundred years old is the sense of also honor. I'm very honored to run this company that's hundred years old. Of course, I could definitely see that. What are your thoughts on saving, whether it be for retirement or other life goals? Start as soon as you can, because <laughs> when you're young, I would spend every dime I made to have fun. No one was telling me I should be saving five or 10% or putting money aside. That's a message that I know it seems cliche. People probably hear that, but it's so true. And one of the things that we started several years ago is a 401k program and we have a match and we literally get very little participation from our employees and yet it's free money. We're matching at three and a half percent. More and more people are doing it, but it's also a sense of, Young families are also living paycheck to paycheck. Even though they're at a living wage, you still got to budget something. You know, you should just put a little bit aside and then you can build upon that. How did your company transition from one that mainly sold to people that now supplies different several national food vendors? Our sales were really flat. Our biggest customer at the time was Meyer Thrifty Acres. And the business was just stagnant in the pickle industry. At the time, we were also selling to Burger King, and we saw Burger King sales grow in the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s at 30, 40% a year. We could barely keep up. 
want to give us more business. So I talked to my father, my uncle, my brother, who was the remaining shareholders about transitioning out of that and focusing solely on the fast food chains. They weren't totally convinced, but they said, let's hire a marketing firm to do some data analysis. And that data analysis came back saying that retail market for pickles was going to grow at best 1% a year, probably stay flat. And the data was showing that the fast food chains were growing just like I thought at 30, 40% a year. With that data in hand, they agreed and we transitioned out of the retail and started focusing all of our money into building our assets and equipment to run more fast food and diversifying from there. So in regards to fast food, is there like a certain type of product that's most commonly sold? I mean, my thought that comes to mind with Burger King, you know, obviously you put pickles with burgers and subs, I guess for Subway, you'll put pickles, banana peppers, other things like that. Is that mostly true? Or are there other products that most people wouldn't know that people use the pickles for? You're spot on. McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's were the top ones forever. Subway was out there, but it was growing very slowly. So the slice for minute pickle was predominant in all the fast food burger joints. Then as Subway started growing in other sandwich shops, yeah, you saw the growth of jalapenos and sliced banana peppers. And this transition from retail to fast foods for us was around 1992, 94. And as we transitioned to being not just a pickle company, but a pepper company as well, and that transition happened in 2001 with Subway, on top of that, it created other opportunities such as pizza chains. Pizza chains use a lot of banana peppers and a lot of jalapeno peppers. So today we service Pizza Hut, Domino's Pizza, and Hungry Howie's. Well, that's fantastic. If you had to go list off one of those products as being an emerging product that people are starting to enjoy more, I guess which of those three between jalapeno, banana pepper, or pickles might be uh, more up and coming or more up and coming to people's taste trends or taste buds, I guess. Jalapenos. 10 years ago, I was selling... For every case of jalapenos I sold, I sold three cases of banana peppers. It is now one-to-one. What can you attribute to that growth? Is there just been a change in consumer trends or is there just been an uptick for what people, I guess, want from their foods? I think because of consumer choices and people like Chipotle and other influences from Hispanic markets, I think people, including Indian markets, people want something spicier and hotter. We used to be a population of people that wanted something very bland. Not today. You see all these competitions where people are, how many ghost peppers can you eat? And there's these competitions. We actually have them every year. Well, not this past year because of COVID, but we'd have a big company picnic. And one of the, actually we called it the Pickle Olympics. So it was all these different events that we would hold. And one of the events was a jalapeno eating contest. And there's one guy that wins it every year. No one even wants to do it anymore. And we make them hotter and hotter. So they escalate in the competition. And I don't know if you remember from the first Indiana Jones, where they're actually a young lady was doing shots of vodka or something against the guy, and they're not showing any pain. They're trying to cover up. Uh, well, this is this one guy. His name is Craig Miller. I don't care how hot it is. He shows no emotion. He doesn't cry. He doesn't do anything. And the other guys are just sweating. And so anyways, the hotter, the better. I see people getting excited about that. Well, that's wonderful. Really good story. And so it sounds like your company's made and had a lot of success over the years. And uh, what's a mistake that you've learned the most from? It's something that I've been learning. Well, I've learned just a few years ago, and I'm sad to admit it. But I used to think the best equipment was our greatest asset. And that's not true. Our people are our greatest asset. It took me a long time to learn that. In regards to having people as your top asset, do you see that as empowering them or helping them do other things around the company? All of the above. Our higher purpose of our company is first and foremost is one, elevate our employees, two, 
energize our community, and three, enhance our environment. We call it E to the power of three. So what does it mean to elevate employees? It's all about employee development. And we're investing more and more training, outside resources, consultants to help elevate those team members, not just in their job, but also elevating them as what we were talking about earlier, about saving. How do they balance their budget? There's a lot to be done with regards to elevating our employees, not just with pay, but in understanding so that they can be successful, putting people in the right positions so that they can elevate themselves and be the most successful as they can. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses and trying to align different jobs with people's strengths is not easy, but it's an ongoing job that you have to do. Within employee empowerment as well, it sounds like being able to help put the strength and put the power and resources into the employees will help make them more vested in the company, increase happiness on the job. And so it just sounds like a a win-win, you know, between yourself as the employer and then also the employees of the company as well. Well, one of the biggest struggles in any manufacturing production plant, we're dealing with a commodity or produce that has a short shelf life. If farmers are growing produce for me, it's not like I can sit on it forever before I package it. It's going to spoil. So there's always these pressures. Okay, produce is coming in. There's going to be peaks and valleys to that supply chain. Our employees understand this, but the one challenge that so many of our employees have, if they're a single parent and with COVID, there's been a lot of challenges to single parents this past year. So we try to be, especially with hourly people, try to be as flexible as possible. So there are some parents that they can't come in at their normal start time. So I can't have a whole shift of people not coming in at a start time because there's produce to pack, but the team has really been working well together to support each other. So if there is a person that has to come in an hour late because of kids getting to school or have to leave an hour early, or maybe take two hours off at lunch because there's something going on with their kids or because they're doing school from home, it's been a lot of challenges this year, but I've been very proud of the team and how they've been working together to support each other through those challenges. Well, that's great. That's really good to hear. And so what's something that you would tell your 18-year-old self? <laughs> Don't worry so much. Take a breath. Keep working. Develop yourself. Involve yourself as much as possible, but don't worry so much. Is there a specific set of memories around that? Something that maybe earlier in life you were worrying a little bit more about that certain type of things? I'm a worrier to begin with, so I still do it today. But I'm working on myself. I'm trying to empower myself to be less of a worrier. No, there wasn't anything. Our company was very small. So I think growing up, I'm not sure if we actually made it into middle class. So there was a sense probably at the age of between five and seven years old, where you start to realize there's a time in a child's life where they start to realize the sense of money and what you don't have, because your neighbors may have more stuff than you have. And you start to realize that for me, that was probably somewhere around the age of seven. And when you start asking your your parents for something and they can't afford it, that starts to hit kind of hard. And so that value of money got set inside of me earlier that, okay, if you want certain things, you're going to have to work for it. What are some things you'd like to do in your free time? Well, it depends on the season. And that's one thing I love about Michigan is the seasons and the changes. In the summertime, I love to golf, love to go boating. The boating, whether it be, I like to wake surf. I do a little bit of wakeboarding, but not so much anymore as I get older. It hurts too much to fall. So wake surfing is low impact. (laughs) In the wintertime, it is skiing a lot of skiing, ice fishing, and now shooting. I know in the intro, we talked a little bit about golfing. Do you have a favorite local golf course you'd like to go to? 
But I belong to the Saginaw Country Club. I've been a member for 13 years now, and I enjoy it so much. The people there are amazing. Our golf league is amazing. Last year, the amount of families that were joining our club, it's just fun to see so many young people out doing things together. And our course is so well kept. Being a member of the country club and how good the golf course is, it spoils you. So when you go to another course and it's not as well kept and you start to appreciate your course, but you kind of complain like, wow, these greens are not well kept or they're (laughs) whatever the case may be. I could definitely see that. And so for people who want to learn more about your company or who are interested in purchasing some of your products, what are some good resources for them, whether it be visiting this store or maybe an online website, or can you provide us some of those details for us? We do do a little bit of retail market still. And the only place that is available where you can buy our house spec line of products is at Jack's Fruit Markets, Saginaw Bay City, Midland. We still do a very small quantity for them. It's a break-even point for us, but it keeps our name out there. We might get back into retail a little bit more with some other packaging choices, but right now we're still focusing on fast food. Our company, a good way to find out more about our business is our website, and that's housespec.com. As a matter of fact, the state of Michigan just nominated us or picked us as being one of the top 50 companies in 2021 to keep an eye on. But Google and YouTube, there's plenty out there about our business. Well, perfect. Well, thank you for mentioning that. So thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Mint Money. If you haven't already, please rate and review our podcast. Additionally, please subscribe so you don't miss when our new episodes drop. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, William. You've been listening to Mint and Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at tristartrust.com. <laughs>